Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hello and welcome to this special Provoke podcast. Um, This is part of a series that we are doing on data-informed innovation with our friends from Imre. And we have two guests with us today. We have Lindsay McGetton, who is a senior VP and activation group director at Imre. Welcome, Lindsay. And we have Ryan Billings, who is head of US Oncology Digital Marketing and Customer Excuse me, Customer Experience at GSK. So thanks to both of you for being here. Thank you. Thanks. So we're talking about, you know, we'll get right into it. We're talking about data-informed innovation. What is data-informed innovation? I always struggle a little bit with the word innovation because everything is innovation, right? <laughs> so anything new is innovation, any thought is innovation. What is data-informed innovation? Uh, sure, so I'll jump in. So to me, we'll just, uh, I'm taking a quick step back to, to innovation because to your point, what is innovation? I get asked that a lot. I think it means a lot of different things to different people, but to me, it's really just around, you know, finding new or more efficient ways to do things, or it can be solving a very specific business problem or meeting a business objective through a new and different way. And it doesn't always have to be digital or technology. It could be something, you know, like a change in a process or something more traditional, but it's new and it's different. It's just thinking about something differently. Um, And then the data-informed innovation piece, I think that's so critical because I think, you know, there's a lot of folks in innovation roles or who wear innovation hats. And where I've seen people fail is that they kind of get that shiny new object syndrome and they chase solutions and they lead with the solution when they're evangelizing that innovation versus being data informed and starting data first. And for someone who is creative brained like myself, and I think like a lot of PR professionals and marketers and branding professionals and storytellers, it can be scary to start with the data, but it's so important because you want to kind of, you wanna like avoid any holes that could be poked into your idea at the get go. So when you start with the insights and the data, when it comes to introducing innovation, it makes it harder for anyone to question it. And you know you're more likely to succeed. So that's kind of what it means to me. Lindsay, any thoughts on that? I totally echo everything Ryan said about how innovation, yes, there's an element of something new, but it doesn't have to be new for the sake of new. It's a new way to solve a problem or a new way of approaching something. Um, And when you think about data, we want to be data first and also remember the human element of that data. So never losing sight of the people-centric and behavioral element of data. I think innovation comes from that fusion of people-focused behavioral data with whatever the cultural um, and contextual environment is at the moment. And if we think about a lot of the innovative campaigns um, and things that we saw coming out of COVID-19 and quarantine and the entire year of um, 2020, 
a lot of the innovation was really meeting people in the moment and using data to find um, a creative solution that hits on that intersection. Well, that's really, I mean, speaking at a, at a moment like COVID, I mean, that's tough, right? Because you have to find brands have to, to kind of walk that line between being empathetic and being in your face. And by the time people are done with it, they don't want to hear anymore. I mean, that all comes from data. And I guess data is always moving, right? Always transitioning. Yes. Yeah, I mean, when I think about the empathy piece, and it's funny, like, you wouldn't usually think data and empathy together in the same sentence, but um, I read an article recently about a McKinsey study that was done um, post, well, not post-COVID, because we're still living it, but later, and basically the companies who were able to accelerate digital transformation by three to four years because of COVID and the ones that were successful in that acceleration, it was because they were able to close the empathy gap. Um, what do you mean by that? Close well, to close the, I guess to close the customer experience gap through empathy. And what that means is they anticipated and understood the needs of their customers um, instead of kind of trying to assume what they needed or wanted uh, a good example of that, so I work in a pharmaceutical space, and a lot of what we do is um, marketing or communicating to oncologists and physicians. And um, when COVID hit, you know, sales reps were not able to see their customers anymore. And there was a lot of scrambling trying to decide what do we do? Can we have reps meet virtually with physicians? and that did work for a while, but um, at the end of the day, like HCPs are people too, and they they had kids home from school, they had telemedicine appointments, they didn't necessarily have time to be taking remote um, meetings with sales reps from pharma companies. So took a step back, we asked them, how can we get what we believe is important information to you about new products, new indications, therapeutic areas, disease states, um, how can we best serve you? And they told us, I would love to be able to access video content that's quick, it's digestible, it's snackable, and it's on my terms, it's on demand. So that helped us pivot how we were delivering and creating content and meeting their needs. So I think that's a good example of kind of closing that customer experience gap in a data-informed way through empathy. You know, you mentioned data-informed and customer empathy gap and customer experience, all that. But what it sounds like a lot of it comes down to is asking people what they want, which maybe totally. it's not new. It's yeah. the way that we do it, right? Absolutely. And then, you know, and you find out a lot of context from that, from those exercises, things that are important to people um, things that you wouldn't get from just looking at straight up, you know, um, analytics and kind of reporting and things like that. Um, things that you can layer on top of some of that more traditional data, I guess. Right. So you can't take away the human element from the data. The human right? element. That's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. And data to some degree has always been there but in different forms we talked earlier in the week and we talked about like old-fashioned focus groups was that data was that the start of data um customer surveys was that data definitely i mean i think sometimes there's a tendency to think data is an exported spreadsheet of numbers 
and that you sift through the numbers and plop them into an algorithm and it spits out what you're supposed to do next. But data is what you're hearing from real people. It's um, when you stop and take a moment to listen to what they want um, or when you look at where they're spending time and what their behaviors are. All of that, while it might be more qualitative, is really important data, especially when you're considering new channels, new content mediums, and everything that's new and different in the digital marketing world to try to drive innovation. Are there examples you can share with us of, um, or, or ways that it's been used? Because we, we talk about words, but then I like to see the concrete. Yeah, so one example that um, we are proud of that we worked on uh, last year is for Lumify, um, which is one of our clients. And I think it's a great example of using data on people's preferences and behaviors and habits and really fusing it with the context of the moment to inform an innovative channel and content approach. Um, so for this example, we, we started thinking about TikTok um, in early 2020 in March, like many people who started hearing about it a lot more. Uh, COVID disruption created an opportunity for TikTok. Um, I think we were noticing a dramatic increase in US downloads. I have some stats that by March 23rd, um, monthly down in 2020, monthly downloads to date were 6.2 million, which is up 27% compared to the first 23 months of February 2020. So our social teams were starting to take notice of this channel trend. Um, and then by the time we eventually took the, this idea to our client's approval team, TikTok was the most downloaded video app in the world with 52 million global users and uh, 185 billion average monthly views. So that's one part of the data is you're looking at all these um, statistics that are coming out saying, hey, this channel is popping in this moment. Should we take notice of it? But you really can't go, you have to keep going. You can't just stop there. Um, so we were thinking about Lumify, which is in the beauty category, and how, what are beauty brands doing on TikTok? So we noticed that there was a big increase in beauty brands gravitating towards TikTok. I think 15% of the world's top global beauty brands had an official TikTok account as of last April as we were continuing to develop this idea. And we had all these cosmetic challenges that you saw popping up while people were staying at home, like the Elf Vanishing Act. That campaign had 12.9 million views when it launched. And a lot of these brands were reporting that organic engagement on TikTok was really driving sales. Um, and another great example is that the skincare brand, The Ordinary, saw like a 426% sales spike on a product that was just entirely boosted by TikTok users. So then we're thinking, okay, we see, we have data saying this channel's popping, we have data that it makes sense for our industry, and then it always has to come back to, does it make sense for our consumer? Is there an opportunity for our brand based on the person? Um, so what we did is we looked into consumer behavior habits and sourced a survey from CPG Strategy that reported over 70% of female Gen Z consumers, which was our target audience for Lumify, were using Amazon for product discovery and attributing that shift to TikTok. TikTok influencers were driving impact by creating these videos with the hashtag Amazon finds. So with all of this data together from different lenses, from the landscape and contextual um, lens, from the channel lens, from the industry lens, from the audience lens, we could validate that TikTok advertising um, was a channel and an opportunity that both met the moment and um, met the evolved behaviors of the Lumify buyer. So it was really innovation backed by data in the purest sense and is one of our agency's um, proud moments of 2020 and pivoting and, and trying to find innovation backed in data.
I believe it. And then how do you, I mean, but you also have to find your space in that, right? If everybody's on TikTok at that time, you also have to use data, I imagine, to pinpoint your targets or to boost your content or whatever it is that you do on TikTok. That's the other right. And looking at data on performance to optimize and reallocate spend towards um, the, the the targeting or segments or audience segments that are um, taking the actions that we're wanting them to take. Right. And Ryan, you've worked for um, in global businesses, local businesses, um, or locally focused accounts. Is Dave, data as applicable for a small business as it is for a small business or big account or an initiative that you're doing? Yeah, I think data, like innovation, data is such a loaded, big word that is subject to lots of different interpretation. There's all different kinds of data, but um, I think at the end of the day, whether you're a big company, small company, well-known brand, little known brand, you really need to inform your content strategy and what's going to resonate with your audiences with data. Um, and that's changing all the time. I think one of my favorite examples from my career was back at AstraZeneca um, in the early days of social media. And um, we were working on um, a loss of exclusivity of a brand that is very, very well known um, called Nexium. I'm sure you've heard of it. And back then, this was 2014, you know, there really were not social communities built around products yet. Like that wasn't really a thing. We didn't have these like digital to direct to consumer brands out yet. And, um, but there was brand equity in the world. So we took a look at the data and we realized that through social listening insights, um, our customers, they loved this brand. They loved that it made them feel better right away. Um, you know, they just, they loved the kind of brand um, presence it had and you know it was very iconic and that it was the purple pill it had a lot going for it and while the patient population was split evenly in terms of male and female well, the insights are telling us that it was about i think north of 80 percent women who were talking about it in this like brand affinity kind of way so we actually used that case study and, and those insights to build a social community around this product to help kind of hold on to that equity as we would see generic competitors come in. And, you know, I definitely believe that not every pharma brand is set up to have a community base, mm -hmm. but there are going to be in instances where that is appropriate and helpful. And that was one of them. And it was certainly the first. Um, so yeah, I mean, sure. Like data is really important to, again, like, no matter, no matter <laughs> where you are. Data is yeah, important. yeah. I kind of forgot where I was going with that, but, um, you know, it's important to look at like, is there a case for this, yeah. whether it's big or small? And that was a huge brand. Um, and Ryan, how was that I, question? Oh, please go ahead. Um, hear from you then from me. <laughs> well, just being familiar with that campaign, uh, yeah. We, I think another element is that it felt culturally relevant for the moment. I know that uh, we did something that was a play on that really popular, um, is the dress, meme. Is the dress blue or yeah. is it gold? And everyone was talking about that and sending it to their friends. And it was a big cultural storyline and just a societal storyline. And to be able to 
leverage that concept and bring it into the pharma space um, made that campaign have even more relevancy from a contextual yeah. perspective. Especially because it was a brand that was so recognizable by its color. It made sense to, um, what was it called? Like, ha like brand, I forget what, what that, like hijacking, uh, hashtag hijacking or something. It made sense for us. It wouldn't make sense for every brand. So that's important too, to make sure that, you know, your, everything having to do with your brand aligns with that kind of meme moment. Right. Yeah. And, and this for both of you, I mean, how in pharma in particular, um, do you deal with certain kinds of uh, data and innovation questions that must be different than your regular consumer brands, right? I mean, it's such a sensitive arena. It's so regular. Yeah. Um, how have you seen it evolve over, you know, the time that data has sort of been ramping up and, and used more specifically? You know, having been in the social space, specifically in pharma for a long time, even before there was guidance from the FDA on how to compliantly use social media and mobile, um, it's come a long way. We were very reticent as a industry to really tap into social but there came a tipping point where we just knew our patients and our customers are there we're missing out we have to be there they're going to talk about us whether we're joining the conversation or not um so there's you know we've come a long way from being really afraid of finding like adverse events and um, product quality complaints on social and that kind of thing and um, I think the biggest thing when it comes to data, especially on the patient side, is privacy. That's so, you know, you have HIPAA and all these other rules, and we want to respect our patients and we want to respect their privacy, but we also want to serve them, you know, relevant and most importantly, helpful information they need. You know, they're, they're navigating all sorts of information. I mean, think about, in my case, in oncology, like, it's very overwhelming to try to sift through what's out there, what are the latest treatments, and what's the latest research. They're very scientifically leaned in. So um, it can definitely be tricky to make sure that we are, of course, complying with, with privacy rules and regulations, but also being able to, to find these sm often small patient populations. And we've been able to do that. I think a great area, again, to be able to do that is on social. Um, you know, to understand what's important to these people, what kind of groups and advocacy organizations are they engaging with, and can we serve them the right content in that way? Right. I imagine that the, um, I've heard that the, the sort of micro-targeting, especially in pharma, is, is just huge advantage because you can have yeah. a, with a rare disease and there's, you know, hundreds, not millions of people that have it, right? And you still need to serve those people. Yeah, yeah, we need to find them. And how have you, Lindsay, seen things evolve? I mean, are, do you still see people scared of data? <laughs> do you have to still convince? Is there still that that shiny new object fascination that that Ryan talked about at the beginning, or are clients open to to using data as fit? I think everyone wants to be as data driven as possible. Um, the trick is figuring out how to take all the data that is accessible to you and and analyze it to pull out insights that you can be actionable on. Um, in terms of like how data has changed and evolved, while I do support a lot of health and pharma brands, I'll take the consumer angle um, for a moment. I think that 
in consumer, we've in the consumer space, we've realized that you have to tell a story that plays into cultural trends. Um, so as an agency invested in data and analytics, we'll look at what's resonating with consumers and, and bring that back to brand teams to determine what's ownable. Ryan and I were just talking about this with the Nexium example, because that pill was defined so much by its color, we could play on that color challenge and hijack that. Not everything is going to be ownable. Not every trend is going to make sense for you to hop on. Um, but brands can find opportunities that are really relevant and that intersect with their brand value prop or something unique about their brand. And that's where I've really seen the evolution in the consumer space where that's almost a mandate. Um, we really can't have one dimensional storytelling anymore. You have to be even more person-centered than you were before. And being person-centered means knowing what people care about and positioning your brand as culture forward. Um, having that deep-seated empathy for your audience that we talked about, over-indexing on intelligence about what your audiences care about most and knowing what's trending across the media landscape and pinpointing your most influential potential advocates and then thinking really critically about the diverse and disjointed array of channels at their disposal and then, and really only then, injecting what's ownable about your brand to create these cultural moments of opportunity. So it's really about high touch, high reward marketing, not a brand bullhorn approach, earning attention, building with third-party validation, and then strategically knowing how and when to amplify those stories across platforms. So you're really achieving impact. You're not just using data to drive impressions and make your program perform better, but you're having an impact that's sort of beyond um, what you may, might originally think about with your brand's goals. Well, which is where we, we focus a lot on data, but the the storyline here is data-informed innovation. So right. how has data affected, I don't want to say how it's affected innovation, but innovation is more targeted. Um, I imagine it can make it either easier or harder, easier if you know exactly who you're talking to. Um, has it affected, the, how has it affected the creative? Um, I think, oh, go ahead. So, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think there's a couple good examples in pharma on the physician side or who we call HCPs, healthcare professionals. That could be nurses, that could be, you know, other um, professionals in the kind of healthcare space. But um, on that side of things, we get pretty granular in terms of like prescribing habits and um, which health, health systems are they with and how likely are they to prescribe our product. And we use that to inform a ton. Um, and then also back to the sales reps that um, are responsible for um, visiting them, right? So we can um, kind of look at some of those habits and then also some of the digital actions that the physicians have taken. And we can put in place triggers to let the sales rep know what therefore their next best action should be in their next um, kind of interfacing with that customer. So that's been really cool to kind of see that uh, level of specificity um, and personalization. And then of course, on like the, the asset creation side and content creation, we can take a lot of that and make sure that we are sending the right messages and content to specific segments. And that's where the human element comes back in because with then when you're looking at how things have performed with those specific segments, um, it's under. It's important to to kind of look under the hood. A really good recent example is uh, we were looking at some email metrics with a very specific segment, and it had very high open rates, 
but almost no click rates, which is kind of strange. But we noticed they're opening the email multiple times. So what that told us was that segment, they're good with just kind of getting the information they need in the email itself. They don't need to click out, right? But if you had looked at that and just not kind of understood the context of who that segment was um, and looked kind of deeper, you wouldn't really know um, or understand, again, that context. And then something else, a really awesome example on the HCP side that's related. So you think about everything we've been through over the past year and a half and the blurring of personal and professional. Um, we tested subject lines. One had, we started with Dr. Smith, and then the other subject line had their first name. And I've worked with, you know, in HCP marketing for years. And it's a very, um, it's a, an audience that they like to be addressed as doctor. They like, they like that. They like the separation of work and personal, but suddenly the first name is performing much better. I think because things are getting more informal and you also have like the new guard of doctors coming up through the ranks. So, um, that definitely shows, again, it, it layers in that context and the human element. And Lindsay, in terms of consumer, do you have any sort of comparisons in terms of your consumer experience of um, trial and error and, and figuring out at a granular level how this goes? Yeah, I think um, data helps us almost expand the definition of innovation. Um, and Sometimes you can look at what's happening and it can drive not just marketing innovation, but product innovation as well. Um, so Airstream is another one of our clients on the consumer side. Um, and they had a really interesting 2020. Uh, they are the big silver trailers that everyone sees. In the work from home era, they saw a lot of these cultural conversations taking shape among editors and reporters and consumers about this notion of working from anywhere. I mean, we remember it's all everyone was talking about in March and April of last year. How are you gonna work from home? How are you gonna manage it if you have children? How do you like turn off at the end of the day when there's no separation between um, where you live and where you work? And that was just a huge topic. Everyone was talking about it, but Airstream found a really smart way to enter the conversation. Um, and by the end of the year, there were stories emerging about how old school Airstreams were enjoying this pandemic era popularity. And dealerships uh, sales were actually up 22% in 2020, even though they were closed for about six weeks um, in the early COVID quarantine, like many businesses. Um, and what was really powerful about the this story and why I think it resonated is because the brand was leaning into cultural insights. They were activating real human brand ambassadors to tell the story about Airstream as a place where you could work from anywhere. They elevated this brand building storyline that really transcended audiences and reached consumers as well as the press that would write about it. Um, and earlier this year, they actually announced a new model that had added office space um, to one of their big trailer models so that people <laughs> truly could work from home wherever, not just in their existing Airstream, but in this new one that was, um, equipped with with an office so that's product innovation i think it's also you know storytelling innovation and it's all related to the data of um what we were seeing pop in terms of conversation um and and sales um and and really applying that smartly it sounds like data has really i don't know what the word infiltrated or permeated all from the handshake sales rep deals to product development i mean it's just it's, it's in every sort of facet of communications, of business, and probably keeps going from here. 
Yeah. And I think this expanded view of data as, you know, not just the quant, um, the quantitative spreadsheet that someone might be envisioning, but really all elements of human data and cultural data and landscape data and contextual data and how to marry that all together in a way that, that makes a lot of sense is, is where you find the innovation. Excellent. Brian, anything you want to add before we sign on? It's not to put you on the spot. If you don't, if there's not, it's okay. No, there is one, one area I really wanted to touch on, and that is storytelling from data. And I think that that goes back to you know, the audience here and then people like myself and Lindsay, who, again, are kind of natural born storytellers and creative types. And for me personally, I was always afraid of the data piece, but it's so important to be able to take, you know, that stack of metrics and data points and research. And how do you, how do you kind of articulate the high level? So what, or the story up to your leadership? in like one or two bullet points. So how to get really good at that and kind of lean into being able to do that. And I think that that's kind of the difference between analytics and insights. And I think people group them together a lot. Um, but I think we've seen that shift too, you know, being able to, to um, relay through social content and memes and things like that, if through infographics, um, people are loving getting information through infographics on Instagram and TikTok videos and things like that. So as a brand, how can you also tell a story to your uh, your consumers and your audience um, through kind of that easy, uh, kind of watered down, digestible um, infographic type of, of way? Um, I think that that has been something that I've really noticed over the past year and a half and that you know I've been leading into more myself as a marketer. Excellent. There's a lot to take in here. Lots yeah. So, data is everywhere. <laughs> that's, that's the big takeaway is data is everywhere. Um, but I appreciate the conversation with both of you, Super Lightning, um, Lindsay in particular. Thank you for the partnership on uh, with Emory in, in sponsoring this podcast and uh, the conversation will continue from here. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.